Hey guys, welcome back to the 50th Take Podcast. As you know, I'm Tyler. And I am Tanner. And we're here to bring you all you need to know this week in NFL and college football. So Tanner, what did we miss? Well, other than the entirety of week one of college football, I would say we missed some pretty, really interesting storylines. Now, of course, because we are a show based out of Hawaii, we're going to obviously start out with week one for the University of Hawaii. For game two, because we did play week zero, just to clear up that kind of drama, we did beat Portland State 49-35. to Interesting storyline out of there. June Jones, the one of the winningest head coaches from the University of Hawaii, did come out of Portland State. That's where he learned the run-to-shoot offense from Mouse Davis, as a correction from last week, where I just gave a completely wrong name. So first of all, I'd like to apologize for that. Um, some highlights of the game, you know, of course, Hawaii started out 28 to nothing at the end of the first quarter, but they seemed to just kind of let that foot off the gas pedal there, kind of in the middle, allowing for about uh, 28 unanswered by the end of the third quarter to keep to have the game come to 42 to 28. But eventually, both teams scoring in the fourth quarter to make it 49 to 35. So in reality. While the score was close, I'll put quotes on close because that is 14 points, there's still a lot of work to do for Hawaii, but there's still a lot of really good that came out of this game that we could look on to when we start heading to Corvallis uh, this weekend. Awesome. Now, Tanner, when you were watching the game, how did you feel about the uh, adjustments on offense that we made between last week with UCLA and this week against Portland State? I would classify it as a little more than just adjustment. I think it's just the team just getting comfortable with ourselves, you know. With basically every single possession we had, we ended it with the score. With the first possession, first possession, by the way, ever on University of Hawaii campus, which was pretty amazing. It's a beautiful field, beautiful sunset. It's a shame no one is really there to be able to watch it. First drive ended with a Nick Bardner touchdown with him wide open in the end zone then of course the next drive it was a reverse for Calvin Turner everyone must have seen it on Sports Center top 10 I last time I saw it this uh, yesterday morning it was number one from the weekend where he just runs to the right of the field loses like 15 yards and then ends it with a 34 yard rushing touchdown which he should not have gotten in the end that made it that then there was a defensive tackle Peter Tonga getting an interception, leading to a touchdown to our other wide receiver, Jared Smart, and then Diedrich Parson, and our transfer from uh, Howard getting a rushing touchdown. It was really just an offensive um, workshop for University of Hawaii, and it's kind of what all the fans really want to see from the Todd Graham offense. Fast pace, as many times as possible, and while it isn't the run and shoot, it is still a very high-paced offense that we do want to see that hopefully we can see going into Corvallis against Oregon State as they come off a loss to Purdue. A very equally, a lot stronger team, but I think it shows where the weaknesses that we could find in the Beavers' defense. Now, speaking on, on uh, Bo Graham, I just want to make a uh, correction to something I said last week. Uh, when I asked you, Tanner, uh, if you thought that it was a problem that Bo Graham is the son of head coach Todd Graham. I wasn't necessarily saying that uh, you know he got the position without earning it or anything like that. I uh, what I was thinking was you know oftentimes you'll see in coaching uh, that a lot of coaches fail when they start to show favoritism, 
Uh, a good example would be towards the end of Mark D'Antonio, the winningest football uh, coach in MSU history. Um, towards the end, he sort of favored a lot of his coordinators despite you know them not showing results. And so I always just have this feeling in the back of my head like, oh, you know, if if my son or if my friend is the coach, you know, do I have a harder time being real with them? You know, not necessarily firing them, but, you know, is it... So that's what I meant. I didn't mean to throw any shade directly at Bo Graham and his talents. Of course. But we do see Bo Graham eventually making his way back into what we hope we can see for the future of this Hawaii offense. We saw the defense improve for the most part that there is that ugly second half where we did allow 28 points basically but we saw a lot of good from the defense we saw Darius Musau even though he did leave with a hand cast he did basically what he always does we saw a really good performance from Justice Tavai kind of a veteran on the defensive line with six tackles uh, one and a half tackles for loss Unfortunately, we are losing Cameron Lockridge for an for a half, one of our better cover corners, due to a targeting penalty. So, other than the main thing we got to work on is just being, you know, just like being credible for yourself. You know, we see Calvin Turner muff three kickoffs, and whether that be due to him not really putting himself in the best situation to catch kickoffs him not really being in the game to catch kickoffs and all that stuff we have to not see that we need more you know success i mean we see dior scott do it a lot dior scott came in for him afterwards instantly catches the kickoff you know we don't have any issues solo turner the former linebacker from baylor was catching kickoffs because they were kicking it short of calvin turner so so i think i think what you're getting at is like self-accountability you know, exactly. whether it be that targeting penalty or these uh, muffed uh, kick receptions, it's it's just like, hey, you know, am I going into the game 100% focused on my right. technique? Right. And I think, you know, we'll get onto it when we start our Oregon State preview in a couple of minutes. But it's a it was a good it was finally good to see this team win again after the last win in the New Mexico Bowl in Frisco, Texas, last December. So. Definitely excited for the rest of the season. A good win at home. The first win at home. Yeah, first ever win on campus. All right, and moving on. In uh, NIL news, um, this one is close to home for me. Michigan State, uh, all players on men's basketball and men's football will be signing NIL deals with United Wholesale Mortgage. Uh, a, a big alumni of ours, Matt Ishba, uh, Ishbia, sorry, uh, he has offered uh, an eight hundred thousand uh, dollar contract to the players of basketball and football uh, for a monthly stipend of five hundred dollars over twelve uh, for twelve months, so totaling six thousand dollars a player um, as part of a new NIL partnership with the university. So, Tanner, what do you think about? So, that? how many players does it cover? So that covers 133 players. 133 players are getting $500 a month? Yes, for 12 months. A very Damn. generous donation. And actually, you know, shout out to Matt again. Uh, he actually donated the money necessary to build the new football complex at MSU, set to uh, be built in the next few years. So he's getting his name on a bunch of placards as we speak right now is what I'm hearing. Definitely. I mean, he, he was a walk-on to the men's basketball program, 
and uh, in his speech about the uh, athletic complex, he mentioned that you know Michigan State gave him a chance, and so he would like to give uh, future athletes here a chance as well. And so that's just part of his vision uh, for the university. So I mean, you know, especially as somebody in recruiting, you know, big thank you to Matt. I mean, definitely makes it easier if you can sell a recruit on, hey, we're gonna basically give you five hundred dollars a month, you know, just for playing here. So, I mean, that's a solid like. It's not like the best paycheck, obviously. Like if you're working part time, you're making more than that. But for doing what you love to do, I'm assuming these guys love to play football, love to play basketball, especially in these big Division One programs like Michigan State is for both football and basketball. I mean, five hundred dollars a month doesn't sound that bad of an allowance, if I don't say so myself. And I mean, I'll say this, uh, you know, for, for the bigger name guys, it, it might be easier to find, you know, NIL deals. But this, uh, this uh, contract includes uh, walk-ons and players not on scholarship. So it would actually definitely benefit those guys out a lot. Um, so yeah, $500 is nothing to scoff at. Definitely not. I mean, that, and that goes for the entire year. It's not just for the yes. football season, not just yeah, for that's the basketball gonna be, season. If, that'll be $500 uh times 12 so 12 months damn that's a that's that is uh, a lot of money i mean it is just six it is, i'm gonna say it's just six thousand dollars each which is comparable to like a small scholarship basically for a lot of players like a six thousand dollar scholarship especially to a bigger university like in michigan state definitely helps along the way and so this is basically taking a scholarship fund for a bunch of kids and just be like, hey, this is also going to go, t- this is going towards the athletes. Because, of course, we have to remember they're more than just athletes. They're also student athletes. Getting that $500 a month not only helps them, you know, uh, try to get by, whether it be food, whether it be buying books. It also helps, like, mentally because you got $500 to spend. You can go out to a restaurant, go with your boys, go with your O-line, you know, spend all the $500 in one trip, basically. And you can buy yourself a new pair of shoes you know it's just like i think this will help a lot for the mental health of a lot of these kids oh definitely hugely important to take care of yourself especially in these times and you know it's funny you mentioned uh going out with with your boys on the o-line uh if you're a a lansing michigan listener uh the jolly pumpkin uh, restaurant and bar has actually offered our entire offensive line as well as our long snappers nil deals so if you want to check out the jolly pumpkin and let them know that uh you know thank you for supporting michigan state athletics go ahead and do that you know that's real respect to uh say hey long snappers you too we're gonna get you that because like there's usually only about two long snappers per roster maybe three and it's because Mm -hmm. if you don't play football i don't think a lot of people understand how important the long snapper position is because if you play like madden you're just like oh i'll just throw like a guard or a center there or something but a long snapper is as crazy as a position as a kicker because they're not really playing football at all because a lot of, that's the whole thing with kickers is that they're playing a completely different game than any other position and i would agree for long snappers as well so it's awesome to see some respect go towards probably one of the most overlooked positions in football history so it's really great you know looking at that and of course we're going to be eventually getting to our main topics, you know, where we talk about our preview for the University of Hawaii uh, going to Oregon State. But before we do that, first of all, we just want to shout out 
Mackenzie Milton, Florida State starting uh, Florida State quarterback. He wasn't the Florida State starting quarterback. They almost won the game. He came in at the end in the final quarter, almost led to a game-winning drive, but their field kicker just field goal kicker just missed. I think around a thirty to forty-yard field goal, uh, eventually causing Notre Dame to win the game in the end. But nevertheless, it is the return of Mackenzie Milton after that gruesome. Uh, leg injury that happened I think in Thanksgiving about three years ago three four years like three years ago I'm pretty sure that that sounds about right I remember I was at I was strangely at an Ikea because we were trying to pick up some stuff we were on a trip in uh, Oregon for Thanksgiving and I remember being super excited because like oh I could watch the USF UCF game on my phone and just watching that happen, especially because Mackenzie Milton, you know, is a Mililani kid. He's born and raised here. His parents know a lot of people. He's in the, his parents are in touch with, you know, a lot of people who I work with. And it's just like, it's just not only gruesome, it's just sad to see that happen. So seeing him come back almost lead to a game-winning drive, it, I mean, it's chicken skin. I don't know how else you describe it. Definitely chicken skin. Of course. So we are going to kick it off right here as we put out on our Instagram. We're going to be talking about Hawaii's matchup against Oregon State. Now, the last time these two teams went up against each other, it was back in 2000 and 2019 uh, with Ro- uh, Nick Rolovich leading the helm alongside Cole McDonald. And it ended on a not a last minute field goal, but I would say a go ahead field goal by Australian kicker Ryan Meskel who graduated in 2019. He was a pretty solid kicker for us. And even though he did miss, I think, two or three field goals that game, he eventually hit the one that mattered in the end. You know, so you love to see it. And it was a pretty close game. You know, JoJo Ward popped off, I'm pretty sure, in that game. And so did Jamar Jefferson for Oregon State. So now these are two completely different teams, to be fair. A lot of the players I just named aren't even playing college football anymore. So we'd have to obviously look at at the most recent game for both teams, Hawaii being against Portland State and Oregon State being against Purdue, who beat them 30-21 to last weekend at Purdue with Jake Plummer kind of doing whatever he wanted to do with 313 yards and two touchdowns. And Oregon State was really, really struggling at quarterback as they did throw in two of their guys Chance Nolan and and Sam Neuer, both thrown for more than 15 attempts, both not really doing much with Sam Neuer throwing a pick, 94 yards, having a QBR of 7.8. Not 70.8. Not 70.8, not 78, 7.8. So that is something that you definitely don't want to see. Well, as a Hawaii fan, I'm sure you'd love to see it again. Of course. As an Oregon State fan, you don't want to see that. But we love to see that, of course. But I think we're kind of going on that same train of logic. I was talking about this earlier this morning when I was on the Bobby Kern Show at ESPNHonolulu.com. Not a shameless plug there. But it's trying to think of a way that the University of Hawaii can beat Oregon State at... um, uh, Corvallis, I feel like it's that same line of logic that we were thinking of when we first went into week zero of 
I think Hawaii is good enough to keep up with Oregon State up until the fourth quarter to see what happens. That is exactly what I said against UCLA, and little did I know that didn't happen at all. But Oregon State and UCLA, two different monsters. Oregon State is still kind of in that bottom tier of Pac-12 teams, despite one of the better logos in the Pac-12. Uh, but Oregon State still has some solid weapons. You know, they return, you know, you they want to see more out of their quarterbacks, but I feel like this isn't the performance that you can judge the Oregon State. This is obviously their floor. And you hope that next week is not their ceiling, or this week, per se, is not their ceiling. But it's probably going to be the closest thing we're going to be ceiling, uh, seeing for a ceiling uh, for the Beavers quarterbacks, whether or not they go with Chance Nolan or Sam Neuer. All right, now moving on to our next topic. Here we, we'll talk about some of the big college football upsets from week one. So let's start with uh, Washington versus Montana. That's going to be a 7-13 to loss at home to an FCS school. Tanner, what do you think about Not that? Not only that, Washington was ranked 20th. This is the first time an FCS has beat a ranked opponent since North Dakota did it to Iowa back in 2016. Now, of course, this is North Dakota State we're talking about. This was, I think, led by Easton Stick at the time. But... Let's give Washington a little bit of a break. Uh, last year, Montana did go undefeated. They are definitely one of the better teams out of the FCS. But still, that isn't really an excuse, especially when you're a big program like Washington, to lose to a school that straight up doesn't have as many scholarships as you. They're in probably one of the worser states in the U.S. Not to trash Montana, but I feel like even though it's one of the bigger states in the U.S., it's kind of one of the more forgotten states. You know, it's kind of like living up there right next to North Dakota, South Dakota, and you kind of just kind of forget about it. Uh, I think Montana, univers- the University of Montana, is mostly known for their uh, farming and agriculture programs more than it is known for their football program, which is unfortunate because Washington is known for having really great sports programs. So I feel like you have to hats off to the to the uh, montana uh, grizz grizzlies i assume it's the grizzlies because their logo is just grizz all right now let's move on and talk about a close game not necessarily an upset but how does tulane put up 35 points against the number two ranked oklahoma sooners i mean if you watch the game you could see that there was just kind of a different energy when it came to Oklahoma and Tulane, of course, Tulane, you know, originally was supposed to host the game, but unfortunately, due to Hurricane Ida, uh, Tulane wasn't able to play. So Oklahoma hosted the game for Tulane, which is very generous of Oklahoma to do. And, you know, it started out 14 to 14. You know, Spencer Rattler was kind of doing his thing, showing why he's a Heisman favorite. But uh, Michael Pratt just didn't give up even after Oklahoma in the second quarter went off on a 23-point, you know, scoring frenzy. But then Tulane definitely made it interesting kind of near the end, holding Oklahoma to only three points in the second half. Spencer Rattler throwing two interceptions. Sorry about that plane. I do live right next to an airport. But Tulane, especially in the final, they score a touchdown. They get the onside kick recovery. And on 4th and 13, Michael Pratt escapes the pocket, 
gets out of a tackle and dives to the first down, but is unfortunately half a yard short. So definitely hate to see it for Tulane, the Green Wave, one of the better logos in the country, one of the better jerseys, I like to say, in the country as well. But uh, what's it called? Jerseys don't um, get you anywhere in college football rankings. But this is more disappointing. Exactly. But I would say this is a lot more disappointing for Sooners fans than it is exciting for Tulane fans. Because when you have that you're one of the Heisman, the Heisman favorite this year of Spencer Rattler, sure, he only, he went 30 for 39 for 304 yards. He only threw one touchdown. Especially when you're coming out of Oklahoma and Lincoln Riley's uh, system. You want to see more touchdowns from your quarterback position. We saw that from Baker Mayfield. We saw that from Kyler Murray. We saw that from Jalen Hurts. All of these guys prospered with Lincoln Riley. So you're expecting, okay, Spencer Rattler, he has to take that step from from last year where he was okay to solid. Now he has to make that jump to being a Heisman favorite. And he just didn't really live up to the hype. And you see it in the Heisman uh, odds. He drops down. Bryce Young from Alabama is now leading that by probably a hefty sum, I would say. All right, and now branching off of that Heisman talk and Sam Howell, how do you feel about uh, UNC being ranked 10? <laughs> We're talking about upsets here. I'm upset. I ranked UNC up there too. I think I just went off of, look, last year was good. You want to see more. So I think I put them at 11 in my own poll. And they just drop, I, they drop a bomb. I don't think it was Sam Howell's fault. He definitely wasn't as good as you would like him to be, especially when he's hyped up to be a first-round quarterback for the NFL draft. His offensive line failed him. Virginia Tech played some really good defense. Obviously, UNC played some solid defense, too, as it was 10-14. to So, in the end, I think UNC just... Their O-line just didn't really live up to any expectations that they had. Their running game wasn't any good, especially after the departure of both... Javante Williams and Michael Carter. Of course, you're going to see a huge drop off after you see those both of those guys leave at the exact same time. Basically, Sam Howell's losing an entire other part of your offense. So, I think it's expected, but we all have to remember this. It's week 1. There are several more weeks to come. These are not the teams that they're going to be uh 3 months from now. So, we can start overreacting now. And just see how, week by week, how they evolve, how they devolve maybe as well when it comes to other teams. But it certainly is exciting to watch a lot of these teams, you know, try their best. And so now going into this, we did see a lot of great performances because you were talking about Heisman favorites with Sam Howell, Spencer Rattler, disappointing. I think we're starting to see some Heisman dark horses, you know, start to rise out of you know, some really interesting corners from college football world. And they aren't necessarily quarterbacks. So, Tyler, why don't you uh, talk about one of your guys, you know, out there as a running back coming out of, you could say kind of both coming out of Michigan State in a way. Yes, definitely in a way. First, I want to go back to what we talked about in week one. I was high on Zach Charbonnet, and I am even higher now. 11 attempts, uh, 117 yards, and a touchdown against a ranked number 16 LSU. 
So we thought, you know, okay, the, the loss at UCLA was disappointing for Hawaii fans. But imagine being an LSU Tigers fan right now. You know, we really did not know how good this UCLA team was going to be prior to Week 0. But man, a guy who continues to impress me is Zach Charbonnet. You know, now that the rivalry between me and him is over, uh, I, I can do nothing but root for the guy. Honestly, we love to see somebody, you know, not happy with their situation go somewhere else and have success. And uh, to that tune, I will now talk about somebody that made my weekend a lot better. And that's going to be Kenneth Walker third, Coming out of Wake Forest, he is our new running back at Michigan State. And boy, oh boy, did he impress. 23 attempts, 264 yards. That's going to be 11.5 on average. Four touchdowns and a long run of 75 yards, which was actually on the opening play of the game. So what a way to get the season started for the Spartans. So in that 38-21 win against Northwestern, uh, Kenneth Walker uh, only ran the ball. He did not uh, have any receptions. But there was nothing that Northwestern could do to stop him, especially on outside zone runs. Between the tackles, he still uh, looked you know, just like an average running back. Still good, but you know, just uh, about averaging 4 or less yards per carry on inside runs. But... Um, our, our receivers, especially uh, number 11, Connor Hayward, tight end on the outside, incredible downfield blocking. And so that was really able to open up the run game, which is something that MSU has not had in a few years since at least Jeremy Langford and, to most people's mind, Le'Veon Bell. Um, as for the game itself, you know, now that I'm going on a tangent, I uh, really liked how Coach Mel Tucker, second-year head coach, he didn't take his foot off the gas this game. And it's just like what we talked about, you know, all, kind of the opposite of Hawaii. You know, we, we came out in Hawaii, uh, you know, guns blazing, but then we kind of slowed it down on, on offense. We kind of changed uh, the, our risk aversion towards the second half. But that's something Mark D'Antonio would do a lot. If you look at our two losses to Arizona State uh, in 2018 and 2019, uh, something that really frustrated me as an MSU fan is the style of football that D'Antonio would play is we would get ahead by a score or a score and a half, and then we would switch to the run game, which was abysmal since we obviously we weren't passing, and then we would rely solely on our defense. And despite having the number one rushing defense in the country in 2018, I mean, your defense, you can't expect them to hold every game. So the games where we would you know make it close, uh, two games that come to mind besides the Arizona State games are, are both of our wins against Indiana. Uh, a big rivalry between the Spartans and the Hoosiers. Uh, both times the game was close and went down to the final drive of the game, basically. And luckily in those games, you know, our defense was able to hold. But it was nice to see that Coach Tucker did not take his foot off the gas. We passed uh, the ball, even though we had a massive lead against Northwestern. And new quarterback Peyton Thorne didn't make any mistakes. Threw the ball away, didn't take any risky throws. He knew the football situation that we were in uh, with the lead. And protected the rock and so i really love to see it and uh, i'm looking forward to the first home game uh next week or this weekend actually against youngstown state go spartans so do you think kenneth walker can keep up this pace you know obviously he can't rush for 264 yards and four touchdowns every game but do you think he can like kind of keep up the pace you know rushing for at least in the hundred hundo 50s you know you know trying to keep michigan state in the game through his legs and Maybe even seeing him as that dark horse uh, uh, Heisman candidate. 
You know, I really do hope so. And, you know, being a fan uh, aside, uh, you know, Michigan State, our entire running back room last year, even though it was a shortened season, we only had eight rushing touchdowns on the year. And so for Kenneth to come in in game one and get four touchdowns, I mean, it, it just it seems to be, you know, our, our new uh, assistant coaches and, and our work on offensive line. As far as, as uh, Kenneth can go, it's just as far as he wants, basically. Uh, against some of the stingy defenses uh, in the league, it's going to be a little harder, I would say. But, I mean, definitely well within the realm of possibility that he hits 100 yards every game of the season. Uh, but we'll have uh, yet to see if he can keep this uh, record-breaking production up. Right. Well, definitely excited for your Michigan State Spartans. You know, running for 264 yards and four touchdowns, you think that would you know, obviously garner attention for, like, an Offensive Player of the Week award. Oh, right? don't even get me started. Look, when the Walter <laughs> Camp says B. John Robinson is the player, uh, Offensive Player of the Week, and you got a guy like Kenneth Walker? Come on. Well, you even look at that. There is a guy from, I think, Presbyterian College who broke the NCAA record for throwing 10 touchdowns last week. Do I know his name? No. I have no idea what his name is. But I do remember that he went to Presbyterian College. So, unfortunately, the Walter Camp Offensive Player of the Award kind of feels like one of those mainstream awards where you're just like, eh, you're in the notice. Let's give it to you. Of course, we're not saying that Bijan Robinson doesn't deserve the award either. He had an amazing performance. We don't want to anger the Longhorns fans. They might report us for, you know, sending someone to an abortion clinic or something so you've got to be careful out there so of course with that seamless transition we're going to be talking about kind of the top 10 in the college football awards you know yesterday the ap came out with their top 10 but i'm personally going to go with a more credible source a source that i am a part of with the student media poll we're 100 plus student journalists uh you can look us up at the student media poll uh on twitter we have awards, we have our uh, weekly polls, you know, every week. They will always come out before the AP Top 25, and I will guarantee they will not come out as broken as the AP Top 25 does every week. So first of all, we're going to talk about our rankings. We're going to just do the top 10, and then after that, we can top, you guys can go ahead and look at that. You can even look at my own poll, looking up at Hayworth Tanner on twitter my poll is up every week on the day that we upload the poll so unanimously alabama is the number one team in college football are you surprised by that at all tyler no i'm not i mean i i love alabama um they are a great team on all sides of the ball and uh, i mean it's week one sure but i mean alabama has shown us season after season that they do deserve to be at the top and of course number two we're gonna have georgia who did take down Clemson in probably one of the most boring uh, college football games in a really long time. Both teams failing to score a single offensive touchdown. Of course, DJ Wangalele did throw a touchdown. Too bad it was to Georgia as they win 10-3. An absolutely riveting game for everyone to watch. And Ohio State, of course, as we all know, on last Thursday beat minnesota so they stand at three and oklahoma for us will drop down to number four after a disappointing performance we already talked about that against tulane um just going off uh, really quickly 
Texas A&M at number five. They did what they did. Uh, their quarterback did throw three picks, but they still won like 47 to 10, something like that. We have Clemson dropping out of the top five all the way to number six. And, of course, something I like here, we do have Cincinnati ranked at seven. Personally, I'm one of those people that do rank them at number four. I'm personally a lot more impressed by a lot of their wins. They have one of the best defenses in the NCAA, I believe. And they have a really solid quarterback with Desmond Ritter, who's really great in the air, really great on the run. So I can't wait to see them have a really good schedule this year. So I'm really excited to watch them. We see Notre Dame rising to number eight off of a really solid win over Florida State and Mackenzie Milton. And we have probably on one of the biggest almost upsets of this week in Iowa dropping to nine after they almost lose to Northern Iowa. Of course, Northern Iowa, one of their most famous graduates, Kurt Warner, the grocery bagger, um, what is I mean? What's your reaction to Iowa State like almost dropping one at, when they were ranked number seven? So I mean that's a good one, Tanner. Um, you know it's it like we always say. You know it's week one. Um, interesting that you know Oklahoma would drop down two spots while Iowa State would actually rise in the poll. So it's very interesting to see that. Well, I mean I do like the Cyclones. I do remember a game uh, last year watching them play the Raging Cajuns. And uh, that was a good upset for the Cajuns. Um, but, you know, I, I like what uh, Iowa State is doing. And uh, we'll see if they really deserve to be where they're at next week when they play their in-state rival, uh, Big Ten's Iowa. Of course, for us, we do have Iowa ranked at number 10. So it'll be a fun little matchup between 9 and 10 in the most credible source that you can find on Twitter, the student media poll. And to... Uh, refer back to a point that you were making with Oklahoma dropping. For us, they were at number three. They dropped down to number four. We originally had Clemson at number two, really high on DJ Uyunglele, but obviously that potential did not show through. And I personally think almost losing to Tulane is not as bad as almost losing to Northern Iowa, especially when you don't score over 20 points. At least with Oklahoma, they scored 40. But with Iowa State, they just struggled, especially when you were expecting to see a really big rise out of their running back. Um, and it's just like you expect more. But hey, they're both Big 12 teams, so they're bound to disappoint eventually. And so now, after Tara, that, we're, I have a question yeah. for you. Where did you put Iowa State in your personal ranking? Okay. So this is going to be very controversial. So, of course, we do have, like, over 100-plus student journalists. So we do have a lot of variation in these polls. And in my own poll, I dropped Iowa State all the way to 12. Now, I don't think they look that good. Okay. I like Texas more than Iowa State. That is something that I would not say at the beginning of the year, especially when they had a, such a really good win over Louisiana Lafayette, a solid group of five team. And it's just like I have Texas going around 18, you know, a solid rise in where they used to be. So I just want to see them prove it. I want to see Iowa State prove that they're better. Of course, in my own ranking, I had Iowa at 13. So it's pretty much the same thing where it's the same rank basically going against each other to really prove who is the better 
of the two. But I think, personally, I think we're all a little college footballed out. You know, it's week one of college football, especially. We are excited. But it is Wednesday. That means tomorrow is Thursday night football. That means it is the season opener for the NFL with Tampa Bay going against the Dallas Cowboys. And, of course, that just means we can open up to even more predictions because we're all sports podcasts out here. We're all trying to make the most controversial take so anyone out there can listen to us. So first of all, we're going to go ahead and talk about some predictions, you know? Something different for once. So we're going to go through each division, uh, me and Tyler. We're going to go through who we think is going to win each division. Maybe we could turn that into who's going to win the Super Bowl. So first of all, let's go ahead and start with the AFC East. Tyler, who do you have coming out of the AFC East? I think I've got everyone's favorite tenor. I've got the Buffalo Bills winning the AFC East. What about you? I definitely agree with the Buffalo Bills, although we do see a lot of issues with Cole Beasley uh, not necessarily wanting to be vaccinated and his whole rants that he always has on Twitter. We still have Josh Allen throwing absolute darts to Stephen Diggs. Uh, Stephon Diggs, sorry, my bad. And their defense is still really good. They still got Tredavious White. Um, a lot of really solid pieces, so I'm really excited for them. Uh, but I won't be surprised if we see a rise from either the Miami Dolphins with Tua Tonkovailoa uh, finally getting to some expansion in his playbook, as well as the Mac Jones-led Patriots. So I'm definitely excited to see the AFC East this year and what they do. Oh, come on, Tanner. No love for the New York Jets? No. <laughs> I love Zach Wilson. That's about as much as I can give them. All right. Now, so Tanner, uh, what about the AFC North? Who do you who do you have winning the AFC North? Probably one of the stronger divisions in the NFL, uh, minus the Cincinnati Bengals. Two years ago, I was one of those guys that was like, Cleveland is a Super Bowl favorite. Freddie Kitchens will lead them to the Super Bowl. And, of course, we learned that that was not the case. But we saw an amazing mm-hmm. rise from Cleveland last year with the two headed monster of Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb. They only get better with the return of Odell Beckham and an offseason to practice their playbook. So I have the Browns coming out, but the Ravens trailing very close behind them. So do you think this is going to be a down year for the Pittsburgh Steelers? I definitely think so. They lose a lot of pieces on their defense. They lose an incredible piece with Bud Dupree. They do trade for Joe Schobert, who is a solid, you know, volume uh tackle guy you know he'll get you 10 to 15 tackles and he'll do your job for you you know you hope you see tj watt get his contract extension you know he did report to practice today so that's a really good sign for pittsburgh Steelers fans out there um they still got to pay minka fitzpatrick you know big ben took the pay cut but i i just don't know their offensive line looks way worse than it did last year so i mean yeah you lose an I just all think... pro center like pouncey and you're going to be having some problems at, at the line as well as as well as david DeCastro. they also lose him as well so you hate to see it for the pittsburgh steelers but let's go ahead and move on to the afc south probably one of the strongest divisions with two of the strongest teams in the nfl the houston texans and the jacksonville jaguars <laughs> I, when you started saying that, I was looking at my notes and I was saying, what are you talking about, Tan? I, I would have assumed that you'd pick another division to be the strongest. 
But uh, that was a good one. Uh, so who do you have winning the AFC South? I got to go with the Tennessee Titans. King Henry alongside Julio Jones and A.J. Brown and Ryan Tannehill. You know, their defense may not be as good as the Indianapolis Colts, but their offense, I feel like, is much better, especially because I just don't know which Carson Wentz is going to show up for the Colts, whether it's going to be MVP Wentz or it's going to be last year's Wentz, especially after his foot injury that he is allegedly, 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 sorry about that, he is allegedly all good to go for week one. So we can go ahead. Uh, Who you got? I also have the Tennessee Titans. I mean, the same things that you said, you know, there's a lot of question marks for the Colts on offense, but we know what the Titans have. And, you know, honestly, you know, they say defense wins championships, but hey, we know the Titans have a killer offense. So what more could you ask for as a Titans fan? Moving on here to the AFC West. Tanner, who do you have winning? Oh, man. I don't know. Will it be the Raiders? Will it be the Chargers? Will it be the... It's the Kansas City Chiefs. That's... I don't think there's any... There's any going to be any competition there. It's going to be Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill. It's, It's no competition for the AFC West. So now, do you think that the repeat will be a three-peat for the AFC Championship, also going to the Kansas City Chiefs? Mm, the AFC Championship. That is a great question. Personally, I do think it will be between... I think we're going to get a rematch of the Browns and Chiefs. I like the Bills. I just like the Browns a little bit more. And I think we see the return of Miles Garrett, who isn't dealing with a lot of COVID symptoms that he was dealing with at the end of last season. And so I think Miles Garrett, even though technically Kansas City will have a healthier offensive line, I'm going to say it's going to be the Super Bowl run for the Cleveland Browns this year. I'm going to go for that. Okay. Not a stretch take at all. All right, so moving on to my favorite division with my the New NFC York least. We No, no, we've got the NFC East, Tanner. So who do you have winning that division? I'm going to go with the Washington football team. You know, your Giants, they will probably compete for the NFC least, as everyone will probably have around, you know. At le- I'm, going to say, I'm going to say this wild prediction. Everyone's going to have at least seven losses coming out of this year. Even though that'll be, you know, solid. It's going to be a solid 10-7 and seven for whoever wins this division. I really think the Washington football team's defense is one of the best defenses in the nfl not the nfc the nfl especially though with chase young you know he's basically like miles garrett 2.0 and i'm just excited to see him and fitz magic go for his mvp run this year all right and do i even need to say it i have my new york giants winning the nfc so on to the nfc no no wait come on tanner you gotta let me say my piece all right, now, I, I'm not like a Cowboys fan. Right? I'm not going to tell you here that the Giants are going to win the big game or they're going to go to the Super Bowl. I'm, I'm a more realistic guy. But I think that the Giants this year could make the playoffs, and here's why. In Daniel Jones' first two years in the NFL, he had two different offensive coordinators. All right, But now, in his second year with Jason Garrett, it's really time to open up the offense, and it should be, since I believe that Daniel Jones is on the hot seat this year to be replaced in the draft. 
So if we get Daniel Jones finally not fumbling the ball, league leader in fumbles, by the way, I'm not ashamed to admit that. We get him firing on all cylinders. We add players on offense in Kyle Rudolph and Kenny Galladay and bring in Kadarius Toney from the draft. Our offense is going to be incredibly potent. Now our defense, you know, a lot of people forget that the Giants actually ended last year top 10 in defenses in the league. So I think you put that together, a solid return from our defensive starters and then a new resurgence on offense by uh, Jason Garrett. I think Big Blue has what it takes to win. Now, I know we're spending a long time on the NFC East here, but I just want to point out that you left out one position group, probably one of the most important position groups in the NFL. The Giants have one of the worst offensive lines in the NFL. Andrew Thomas isn't going to do much. He was okay last year. Nate Solder is basically an older version of uh, whatever his name was, the Miami guy that was basically a revolving door. Will Hernandez is not the guy who we thought he was going to be. And what did they do? They traded for Billy Price, probably one of the worst centers in the NFL. His numbers may not necessarily say he let up any sacks, but if you watch any Bengals game, you will know that Billy Price is one of the worst centers in the NFL. So props to the Giants for trying to improve their offensive line, you know. I'll give them. I'll give them a good old. Hey man. Hey, listen. A, a boy can dream. Okay. You know, I've I've been a Giants fan since I started watching football in 2016, and I'll be a Giants fan until the day I die. So even if this is another losing season, I'll still come back next year. So moving Alrighty. on. So now that we're done with these okay. delusions, okay. We can wow. Go delusions. On to the NFC okay. North. Okay. The NFC North. Who do you got winning the NFC North? Probably nothing as controversial as taking the Giants to win a division anytime soon. Who do you got? Well, I think the only thing more blasphemous than what I had previously said would be to take the Lions. But I think I'm going to go with everybody's favorite, the Green Bay Packers. I believe that, you know, this whole last dance talk, I do believe that, you know, this is probably the last year we'll see the core of Green Bay's team together. And I think, you know, as long as they avoid you know a lot of the drama that kind of encapsulated the offseason for them i think if they stay focused on the football ahead of them i think they can really just make another run back to the nfc championship you know as a great man has put it he's a bad man up in wisconsin aaron Rodgers. you know we see him with Devonte adams with that biggest hookup probably of last year leading the nfl in touchdowns he gets his slot receiver back in randall cobb and they get a slightly better defense, you know. And I won't be surprised if uh, the Vikings, I think I see them as a viable wild card coming out of the NFC North with Dalvin Cook. You know, they got Justin Jefferson. It's just a fun team to watch. And I think those are going to be some great matchups uh, twice a year to see those Green Bay Vikings games. All right, and now to the NFC South. Tanner, as a Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan yourself, who do you have winning the NFC South? Well, obviously, I have the Atlanta, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They've returned all of their starters from their Super Bowl run. That has never happened in NFL history, where every single starter from last year has returned. Not only that, they get a solid guy from Washington, Joe Tryon, and he's proven a lot in training camp in the preseason that he's here to stay. I would say our offensive line still needs to be improved. 
Donovan Smith is not helping. Um, whoever we are putting at right guard alongside Ali Marpet and Ryan Jensen, I have no idea who that who's going to be there. Whether it be Alex Kappa again, I doubt it. But we gotta we we have a solid team, you know. We have a lot of weapons, and I think it's safe to say for a lot of people, Tampa Bay is a lot of everyone's favorites to make a repeat at the Super Bowl run. Do you think? Okay, so assuming they make it back to the Super Bowl, do you think they win again? I guess it would depend on their opponents. That's not really a fair question. It would you. depend. On, I mean, it would depend on their opponent, but personally. I don't see this year being another Super Bowl run. I just, something in the air doesn't feel right, you know? It could be karma for Tom Brady almost throwing the Lombardi Trophy into the ocean last year. It could be a little bit of karma for that, but I'll let you know after this who I have making it to the Super Bowl as we head to the NFC West, who I think we can all agree. Okay, Uh, by the way, I know we're, like, skipping out on you, choosing who's going to win the division for the NFC South. Oh, trust me, I, I would have don't agreed think... with you all yeah, the way. It's going to be Tampa that. Bay. I don't if anyone else says anything other than Tampa Bay, I don't you I don't think they should be watching football. So, let's move on to the NFC West. The strongest division in the NFL. No question. There are no losers coming out of this division. They have the Cardinals with Kyler Murray, D Hop, and an amazing defense of JJ Watt, Chandler Jones, and others, but it's really good. They have San Francisco, who's coming back from you know basically the hospital. <laughs> George oh, Kittle's man. coming back. Jimmy Garoppolo is coming back. Brandon Ayuk is coming back. Debo Samuel is coming back. Nick Bosa is coming back. Solomon Thomas is coming back. Everyone's back. It feels like Super Smash Brothers Ultimate. Everyone is here. They have the Seattle Seahawks, who won the division last year, of course. With an electric offense of Russell Wilson, Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf, Chris Carson. And the LA Rams, who only get Matthew Stafford, one of the most underrated quarterbacks in the NFL, to power up that offense over Jared Goff. And if, oh yeah, they have that those two guys on, in the defense with Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey. Possibly two of the best defenders in the NFL. So right now, it just kind of feels like a dice roll. So speaking of that... What's your dice roll? Who do you got winning this division, man? I have the Arizona Cardinals winning the division, and here's why. One, one of my favorite players in the league is Buda Baker. Shout out to Buda Baker. If you ever see this, I'll be very surprised, but hello. And also, for Cliff Kingsbury, this is probably his last shot. So now, do does he fold under that pressure? Or do they finally achieve what they set out to achieve by bringing him in? You're probably the first person I've ever heard that's that said the Cardinals are going to win this division. Really? Okay. Yeah, must, I've never heard anyone say the, the Cardinals are going to win the division. Oh, true, 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 true. So I'm going to go with the first take, probably. <laughs> okay, okay. If I, I got, I, I mean, to me, it's there's two tiers in this. It's the 49ers and the Rams and the Seahawks and the Cardinals. The Seahawks and Cardinals are great. They both have solid quarterbacks with the best wide receivers in the NFL. I just don't see them as super consistent on both sides of the ball. Of course, we won't know that from the Cardinals because they do return. They do get brand new J.J. Watt. But I like the San Francisco 49ers who 
don't forget, two years ago, went to the Super Bowl. Of course, they don't have DeForest Buckner, but they still have an amazing guy, Nick Bosa, who didn't play last year due to an ACL tear. And they have one of the best middle linebackers in the league with Fred Warner. I think they're going to be a very athletic defense, a very athletic offense that we're going to see really spark with this running game, especially if Trey Lance gets into the game. With the LA Rams, it's like the same team but better. Um, I would not say that Jared Goff... I don't think it's controversial to say that Matthew Stafford is better than Jared Goff. And I'd say that. The LA Rams just... The, the LA Rams just do their thing. They don't draft rookies with their draft picks. They draft veterans. They trade their picks for veterans. And they've been doing a very good job at doing that, you know? They have a, they I mean they have Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey and Matthew Stafford, Robert Woods, Cooper Cup. Sure, they don't have super great running backs, especially after Cam Akers is out for the season. They do trade for Sony Michelle though, a really solid piece who helped the Patriots beat the Rams when they went to the Super Bowl a couple of years ago before. So I personally will th- I'll have the LA Rams making it out of that division. I have the LA Rams making it to the Super Bowl. Okay, so you think the Super Bowl will be the Chiefs-Rams? I think it would be the Browns-Rams. Oh, that's right. Sorry. Okay. Hmm, that's interesting. Okay, so out of the Browns-Rams, who do you have winning it all? You know, I think it'll be one of those years, you know, LeBron's probably going to be in that stadium cheering on for Believe Land. I'm going to go Cleveland Browns next year. Super Bowl winners. Lock it in. What about you? What do you got? From my Super Bowl, I actually have the Kansas City Chiefs going up against the... What did I say here in my notes? I have the Kansas City Chiefs actually going up against the Green Bay Packers. I think that we're going to see a repeat from Kansas City. I guess a three-peat, technically. But I think that the Packers actually are the best belt team to take on the Chiefs in terms of offensive power. I love your pick. It's a, I mean, it's a really solid pick, especially because Patrick Mahomes versus Aaron Rodgers. It's a bad man versus probably the next bad man in the NFL. But as we move on, we're going to end it off with probably a, a brand new segment. We're very excited to bring it to you. Uh, it's a very local style. Uh, we're calling it, you know, welcome to the Luau. Because it's time for our Kahlua picks. Every week of the NFL season, we will make our betting picks for the most intriguing matchups. We're going to be going off the lines off of the Las Vegas sporting books. So at the end of the season, we're going to be tallying up our uh, win totals. So we're going to be tallying up. If I pick the right spread, that's 1-0. If Tyler doesn't pick the right spread, he's 0-1. So we're going to be doing that for five matchups, the Monday night, Thursday night, and Sunday night, as well as two matchups that really intrigue us. So first of all, let's kick it off with a Thursday night football matchup where it's the Cowboys at Tampa Bay Buccaneers defending Super Bowl champions. Tampa Bay is at minus 8 and for the people that don't know how spreads work, we're going to have Tyler ex- explain that for you real quick. All right, so when the Bucks are minus 8, it means they're favored by winning by at least 8 points. So if I were to, say, pick the Bucks uh, to cover the spread, I-, I would have the Cowboys losing by at least 8 points. Now, if the Cowboys were to lose by less than 8 points, say uh, a touchdown, uh and a, and a kick or you know a couple field goals 
I would actually lose. So even though the Bucks still win, because I've, I've uh, counted on the Bucks to cover the spread, if the Cowboys either win or they lose by less than a deficit of eight, I would lose that. So that's that's kind of how it works. All right, so with the Bucks minus eight, who do you got? You know, I think the Bucks will definitely cover the spread. I think that this is more than a touchdown game for sure. Uh, you know, I really I enjoyed uh, watching uh, the NFL films cover the Dallas Cowboys over the offseason because, you know, as a Giants fan, I'd, I'd love to see what the enemy is up to. But, you know, as you said, it, you know, in your division predictions, you know, the Bucks are just a complete team on both sides of the ball. Coming fresh off of a Super Bowl win, I, I would not be surprised if the Cowboys do not look ready for week one. And so, yes, obviously I agree with you on that eight-point spread for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You know, fun fact, Zach Martin won't be playing in the game as he was listed out for the Thursday night football opener. Tampa Bay also listed Indomitian Sue as active off of their COVID list. So one of the strongest and probably one of the most feared men in all of NFL will be ready to take on Dak Prescott. You know, we're talking about strong guys, you know, someone that invokes fear. Let's talk about probably one of the strongest guys in the NFL with Aaron Donald and his LA Rams as they open up Sunday night football this year against the Andy Dalton-led Bears as seven and a half point favorites in LA. So who do you got for that, Tyler? Now, I was actually at a, at a Bears preseason game this year, and, you know, I gotta say, you know, I love Andy Dalton. We share the same birthday, uh, but I do think the Rams will win by more than a touchdown. I think that this will be uh, a... I think this will be a showcase of what the Rams can really do, and from uh, games like this where they have an opponent that they surely, you know, should beat... We'll see if they're you know really capable of making a deep playoff run this year. So I have the Rams. You know, it would be the easy pick to pick the Rams, and that's why I also choose the LA Rams because the, you know as obviously I do have them as my Super Bowl favorite to make it to the Super Bowl out of the NFC. There's just nothing from the Bears that I see that can stop Aaron Donald on the D line. They have an okay offensive lineman, but Andy Dalton just doesn't have the mobility to get away from him and not even talking about like yeah they have solid weapons in Allen robinson who's going to be locked down by jalen ramsey so then they're probably hoping that kyle mooney or darnell mooney sorry about that you know pops off for like a deep route but other than that i think matthew stafford routes up that defense they don't have kyle fuller anymore as they release him due to cap issues so that defense is a lot weaker than what they used to be so I do see probably the Rams winning it by probably at least 10. But hey, for the spread, they need at least 7.5, so that easily covers it. You know, before before we move on, Tanner, I do want to add another thing. I think that it heavily favors the Rams that their new starting quarterback, Matthew Stafford, also one of the smartest quarterbacks in the league, he's just come from the NFC North. You know, he's seen the Bears' defense twice a year since he was drafted. So, you know, I think that that'll definitely play into their hands, especially uh, with a coach as, as smart as, uh, as he has. I, I think the two of them together will be able to diagnose the defense easily. I mean, Sean McVay made Jared Goff look like an MVP out there. No telling what he can make Matthew Stafford look like. 
Now let's move on to ESPN's favorite. We're going to be watching it to see the bad commentary. That's right. It's Monday Night Football. Now, don't forget on ESPN2, it will be the Monday Night Football Megacast with Peyton Manning and Eli Manning sitting on the couch just talking about football as they watch the game. Probably tune in to watch that for a couple of seconds and then go back to watch the game in mention, which is the Raiders and Ravens. Of course, nationally not a super hyped-up matchup, but for Hawaii a fun matchup as the Raiders are a very prominent team, uh, especially near the downtown area. So, Tyler, for Monday Night Football, for the mega cast this week, who you got? So, Tanner, it seems that the Ravens are favored by 4.5 points according to Las Vegas Books. But I actually, and this is a hot take, I have the Raiders actually winning this game. So uh, let me let me talk about why. We've got the Ravens, you know, consistently have been a good team, a playoff caliber team uh, in the AFC. But, you know, I feel like all offseason, the Ravens planned on having their run game at full strength with J.K. Dobbins. But a sudden loss of J.K. Dobbins last week to an ACL tear means that the two-headed monster of Lamar and Dobbins in the backfield is kind of missing now for, for the Ravens. So I feel like, okay, and this is to say, I think the Ravens will be good this year, but I don't think that week one is enough time for them to actually change their plan, their game plan. Uh, not to say that I don't think that uh, Harbaugh could make that sort of adjustment. He's not like his brother, uh, Jim. But uh, I do think that, uh, you know, especially with um, Raiders uh, head coach on the hot seat, I feel like the Raiders, you know, they, they've been together for a couple of years now. They're ready to go. They have Darren Waller. They have Derek Carr, who's familiar now with his new weapons. I think that they have what it takes to actually beat the Ravens. Would you call that an upset, Tanner? I would call that an upset. But this is the thing, though. For it to be an upset, it has to happen. And I just do not see that happening. And you make a point, and yeah, they do lose J.K. Dobbins, and it is very unfortunate. But I feel like you are very much underestimating Gus Edwards. He's been in the league for the last three years now, and sure, he's not been a starter for a full season. His first three years, you know, he's played in all 16 games the last two. He started six games for them last year. Every single year... He's rushed for just over 700 yards. For a backup running back, that's really effing good. He had six touchdowns last year. That's pretty good. You know yards per attempt for him last year? Five yards per attempt. That's pretty effing good. So, we look at that. It's a power style that he runs with, which is very different from Lamar because he's a faster guy, a lot more nimble. And then we're forgetting that Lamar won MVP two years ago, and not necessarily just for his running style. He still has an arm on him. He is, in my opinion, a better Michael Vick. He can. He still has weapons. He has Hollywood Brown. He has one of the best tight ends in the NFL in Mark Andrews, and they still return a lot of their offensive line. And we're not even talking about the defense, who's led by Marlon Humphrey, and Marcus Peters, probably two of the most ball-hawking cornerbacks in the league. And so, look, I know that medical marijuana is legal in Michigan, Tyler. You And I just want to make sure <clears throat> that you're not, you know, high. Because in Stephen A's words, 
if you high, then goodbye. I don't want to drop this <laughs> that's call. A, that's a funny one, man. That's a funny one. Well, so now, speaking, it'll definitely that. help us separate the records. You know, I really do appreciate you uh, taking one for the team, trying to have the first loss of one of our uh, oh come on. picks. I really do appreciate that. You know, someone's got to do it. Someone's got to have the first one. And so, yeah, so we can go go ahead and talk about some intriguing matchups that we think are interesting enough to feature this week for our Kahlua picks. All right, so let's go ahead and start with the obvious favorite uh, matchup of Sunday for, I think, both of us. It's going to be the Browns and Chiefs. It's going to be a playoff rematch. The Chiefs are favored by uh, six and a half. So it's going to be less. uh, That's, yeah, that's about one. That's one touchdown, I should say. So what do you think, Tanner? Do you think that the Chiefs will win by a touchdown or more? Or do you think the, the Browns can keep it close or or win? I think it's going to be first game of the season. Everyone's still going to be warming up. I think the Chiefs might take this one. I think they'll take it by a touchdown. It'll probably be just a touchdown, though. Um, you know, they're still coming off hot. They still got Patrick Mahomes, who is fresh off of his toe injury, and he said he's all good already. Tyree kills already. Travis Kelsey's already. They have a brand new offensive line uh, featured by Orlando Brown, which is a really, really good pickup for them. So I really am excited for the Chiefs for that one. Uh, The Browns, I think they can do it. Um, I'm just favoring the Chiefs right now just due to kind of being the more fresh ones coming off of the win. But I think as the year goes on, it will be hard to not see the Cleveland Browns as contenders, especially for this year's playoffs. All right, Tan, I think I'm with you on this one. Yeah, as high as I am on the Browns, uh, as much as I love their team, uh, I do think that, you know, this will be a hot start for the Chiefs as usual. I mean, they just went to the Super Bowl again. And uh, I think that, you know, they'll just come out on all cylinders. Although, it could be said that, you know, the reason why the Chiefs lost the Super Bowl is because of defensive adjustments made by Tampa Bay right before the game. I guess not right before the game, but between you know, the, the regular season and the playoffs. But I think that, you know, the Browns have a defense that's talented enough to pick up on, on some of those cues. It's just going to be, you know, is Andy Reid going to retool some of the Chiefs' offensive looks to beat the basically blueprint that Tampa Bay laid out for the rest of the league to beat the Chiefs? But uh, I do have the Chiefs winning by a touchdown or more. So we both agree that the Chiefs will cover the spread? Yes. Alrighty, so onto our final matchup of the day. I think it's probably a interesting matchup, just kind of on paper. We're gonna look to our Hawaii boy himself, Tua Tagovailoa, and the Miami Dolphins as they host, as they go, sorry, to New England to take on rookie Mac Jones. As the Patriots are favorites by three. So, what do you think is gonna happen here? What's your thoughts on this? So, Tanner, you know, uh, favored by three, that's just a field goal. I, I definitely think that the Dolphins are, like, okay, as of late, I would say this. The Dolphins are a more complete team on all sides of the ball than the Patriots. And you can never discount, you know, the, the New England Patriots. Um, but I do think that the Dolphins, especially, you know, with the trajectory that they've been heading in, you know, I think all the criticism towards Tonga Bailoa is just completely blown out of proportion. I think it must have started, honestly, as a hot take on a talk show. 
And as that got more clicks, more networks started to pick up on, oh, you know, Tua's bad. Tua's not as good as we thought. Tua's not as good as Justin Herbert. I mean, hey, you know, it takes time for everybody. And, you know, also intriguing, though, you know, Tua and Mac Jones did share a quarterback room at Alabama. But I do think that the Dolphins are the more complete team that's going to show up on Sunday. I think, you know, Bill Belichick, he's a great coach, and he'll whip the Patriots into shape throughout the regular season. But I do think it'll take the Patriots one more season to kind of get back to the playoffs or back to sort of where we saw them towards the end of the Tom Brady era. So this is the interesting thing about the Patriots. I really do think much of the issues of them last year was mostly due to COVID. We look at Cam Newton. He did not never look the same after contracting COVID. A lot of their defensive starters uh, chose to opt out just due to COVID in general. Mac Jones in this preseason was probably the second best rookie cornerback, probably under Zach Wilson. But right now, Mac Wilson's uh, sorry, Mac Jones is on the better team. Obviously, um, they have a solid offensive line. They returned Trent Brown, who for some reason. There's something about Bill Belichick and his offensive linemen that he just makes them only good in New England. It doesn't make sense. I don't. It's but he just does it. And they did a weird thing. They signed like eight guys to from free agency, like good guys like uh, Jonu Smith and Hunter Henry. So they see the return of the two tight end set. Probably the first time they see a really good pair since. Probably Rob Gronkowski and Aaron Hernandez kind of living in that average spot in between them. So I'm going to say it's probably going to be sophomore slump, which is hard to say from Tuatonga Vailoa because he didn't really do much in his rookie season other than going 6-3, and three, which is very good for a rookie. I think Bill Belichick is ready to start this season off with a bang. I think the Patriots are going to cover the spread. I think they're going to win by a good amount. Right. I think they'll win over three for sure. And I think it's just going to be a matter of Bill Belichick outcoaching Brian Flores. Well, Tanner, it seems that we've uh, agreed and disagreed on a lot of these uh, money lines today. But you know, or I, uh, I think that we, I think that we'll see some interesting results come Tuesday morning. Definitely, and I'm really excited to see what comes out of our Kahlua picks. You know, it's something we came up. Uh, a couple, uh, day ago so we're very excited to see how this progresses into the season you know uh, excited to be bringing out any kind of opinion we can about nfl about college football and maybe one day we could extend this to even more than five games but at least for this season we're gonna see how this goes and we're gonna see how far we can take it as the year goes on and speaking of that i think that's a pretty good wrapping up point for today so as we wrap it up uh any uh last thoughts for today yeah i uh you know i really enjoyed poking your brain kind of last week about scott frost at the end and uh, i think it would be great uh to hear your final take tanner this this time on a non-football uh topic when you go to 7-eleven hawaii what is your go-to snack food so for context, for people that don't live in Hawaii, which is probably not a lot, uh, there's something about 7-Eleven in Hawaii that just makes it uh, probably 8 billion times better than any 7-Eleven on the mainland. We have really good hot food. We have good bentos. We got musubi. We got, we got the whole range of stuff, not just pizza 
and uh, taquitos and hot dogs. I don't know what how they serve stuff at Seven Eleven up up there in Lansing, but I unfortunately this is how I like to start off my mornings because I do work at about five a.m. There's a Seven Eleven right outside my office building where I work. Uh, I usually pick up a uh, deluxe spam musubi. Uh, it's quick and easy. It's under a dollar fifty, which is a crime. Uh, and it's basically spam musubi, as you would serve it. it has furikake, has and a little bit of egg on the bottom. So I get a little bit of protein, you know, more than I just get from the spam itself. But it's a really chill way to start out the morning. And I also have, you know, my own like little coffee as well, just to help it help it go down the esophagus, you know. And you know what? I think I'm gonna throw that one back to you, especially because we're both born and raised here. What was your go-to? I think my go-to as of late has definitely been the spicy ahi uh, hand rolls. You know, the the joke is always, you know, oh, you know, don't get fish or, or sushi at a at a gas station. But honestly, it's a uh, it's pretty good quality for for the price point and for how convenient it is to just walk in and just grab a couple of hand rolls. And uh, you know the the nori doesn't get soggy because it's wrapped separately from the rice, and so I mean it's a little inconvenient to eat in the car because you would have to roll it before you start driving. You know you always want to drive safe, but um, yeah I think as of late that's been my go-to. But as a kid you know I did love my fair share of spam musubi, so I can definitely agree with that uh, for you Tanner. Hopefully uh, that uh, encourages them to sponsor us in the future. Uh, you know, you never know with these kind of podcasts, but we're going to get, uh, hopefully one day we'll get some cool sponsorships that we'll be reading out to you guys. But right now we're in week two of the process. Uh, we're kind of in that, uh, tanking to lose kind of situation of the process. So hopefully we'll get our Joel Embiid. Hopefully we'll get our Ben Simmons in the future. So I'm excited for the future. Uh, thank you very much, Tyler, for, uh, joining me today all the way from East Lansing staying up all the way into the wee hours of the morning and I just want to add one more thing before we go uh, if you guys listening have any suggestions whatsoever uh, feel free to reach out to uh, either me or Tanner uh, through our social media it's going to be at the 50th take uh, we're more than happy to hear any sort of criticism or feedback that uh, anyone has because uh, we'd like to make this better uh, it's not going to be something that uh, we just you know do for a couple weeks and then forget about but we actually kind of want to make this a real thing and so and any sort of feedback in this early stage is super important and a big thank you to all of our family and friends who have come out with suggestions so major mahalo to you guys thank you and of course that is at the 50th take both on twitter and on instagram uh, if you want, you can also reach out to us personally. Uh, my at on Twitter is at Hayworth Tanner. There you can find all of my silly takes about football and on life, as well as my weekly polls for the student media poll. I will also be shamelessly plugging that until uh, the day I can't. All right. So uh, again, thank you guys for listening very much. Uh, we appreciate all of you. And uh, go Bows. Go Bows. Thank you very much. Have a great one.